All right, we're back. Sports Sushi rebooted. I'm calling this Sports Sushi Singles because we're going to be more focused on a singular topic that is ideally evergreen within the sports world. Uh, each week for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be, Sterling and I are going to be joined by a guest, and we're going to be discussing a specific topic. Today's topic is the art of team building, and our guest is Ernie Green. Ernie Green has been a sports writer for the Tonawana News, the Niagara Gazette, and covered uh, a lot of big-time boxing events and things like that. Ernie, if I missed anything on your uh, resume, we'll, we'll circle back on there. I want to get the, the, the plugs and information out of the way. So, if you want to join the show, we've got the link at the bottom no, of the screen. that's about it. I mean, that's... Oop, there we go. You uh, forgot his social security number, by the way. <laughs> we've got the link at the bottom yeah, of the screen. And, and, yeah, and, and my, um, my mother's maiden name. <laughs> Sports Sushi is presented by Gratwick. Gratwick has done an entire new brand re relaunch. If you want to go to gratwick.co and check out what we've got in store, uh, sign up for the Gratwick newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, my first novel will be coming out next month, and that will be free to anyone that is subscribed to the Gratwick newsletter. So you're going to want to jump on that. Uh, on January 15th, Gratcast returns. I'll be debuting my book cover on Gratcast, and we'll get, be getting it in all things Gratwick. Uh, if you haven't seen already, let me put it on screen real quick. We've got, uh, well, oh, hit the wrong button already. We've got, I'll show it at the end. We've got uh, the next four weeks of guests lined up. Uh, we had it there at the opening sequence of, of the topics and guests that we've got coming up next week. I'll plug that again at the end of the show. The new format's simple. Open discussion, anything goes, as long as it's related to the subject matter. Uh, we'd like this to be a little bit more audience engagement and participation. Uh, hopefully that'll grow over time because I'm going to be running ads for these shows. So once this show's done, we're going to get out there with a bunch of ads and, and hopefully we'll see some growth from one episode to the next. Uh, on my, on my right, we've got Sterling. He's going to be my co-host throughout, uh, this, this adventure. We don't have our name tags right working right now, but I'll get sorted out later. And, uh, the previously introduced Ernie Green, Ernie, what'd I miss? Nothing. You were, you were good. Everything. That was perfect. All right. We're off. Let's get into the topic for tonight. The topic is the art of team building. Now this, this covers everything, every sport. Every, every uh, angle of put it, building and putting a team out on the field and remaining kept competitive. But I've got some, some different segments and topics that we're going to get into uh, first to discuss this. Before I, I taint the waters with any kind of question or angle, I want to I just ask both of you. We'll go Ernie first and then Sterling. What, if, you, if you had to summarize your general team building philosophy uh, Ernie, what uh, what do you look for and what is important to you in the essence of, of building a team, say, from the ground up? Um, you know what? I actually built a team from the ground up last year. We played in a baseball tournament in Cooperstown. And the thing that I wanted was, you know, there's a big difference between loving to win and hating to lose. Everybody loves to win. Right? If you ask anybody, would you rather win or lose? Everyone's going to say win, obviously. But when you hate to lose... That means you're gonna put in all the work to not lose. If you if you just say, "Oh, I love to win," that does not that doesn't tell me anything about somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like that does. Oh, you love to win. Who doesn't? But if you hate to lose, you're gonna do everything you can to not lose. That was my, in my opinion, I think that's the biggest quality that would separate. And it could be in an amateur sport like myself or professional sports. To me, that separates the winners from the losers. Who hates to win? Who hates to lose and who loves to win? If you hate oh, to lose. You are somebody that I want on my side. Winning is fun, but losing is fucking salty, man. I I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Sterling, you can uh, retort, or you can give us your. No, I, I like I like what you had to say, Ernie. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, integrity. You know, I you want people that are gonna do it the right way, um, on and off the field. You know, um, there is a, a saying about. Um, football character you know if we're talking about team building i'm going to give you a, an idea from a, a football lens like <clears throat> you want guys i mean everybody trains right everybody's going to do their workouts and you know but you want guys that are like what can i do to self-introspect look at myself and say hey what can i do to get myself better outside the structure of the foundation that's been laid by my team or organization you know um there, there are many examples. Um, you, you look, Kobe Bryant was, he, 
he was, you know, mama mentality, right? Mm -hmm. This is a guy who would have shootouts, shoot arounds before games, after games. This is a guy who would, um, the days of, he would have a practice before the practice. You want guys like that. Um, it kind of, it kind of flows and builds into what kind of what Ernie was saying here. Um, you know, and once you get guys like that in your organization, you're going to have guys that don't want to lose, right. That, that, that are going to do whatever it takes, um, to get to that next level. So integrity to me is, is a big one. So let me follow you know, to add up. your Sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Ernie. Jump in. Well, I just want to add to his point about Kobe is if you've seen the Redeem Team documentary, um, there's a story where they, are, they were training in Vegas and the whole team except for Kobe went out to a club in Vegas the one night mm -hmm. and they were stumbling in at 5 a.m. And when they're stumbling in at 5 a.m. from the club, they saw Kobe going to the gym to start his day in full workout clothes. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm starting my day. Like, what do you, what do you mean? What am I doing? And by the end of the you know, week, I just feel you, like a piece of shit. If you're one of the guys coming in from the club and you're seeing your team leader go and do well, that. Literally every single person went out except for him. And he was the one that went to go to work at 530 AM to get, he had his workout gloves on. And by the end of the week, the entire team was on his schedule. So that's integrity and that's leadership. But you thought what you know, yeah. you're talking about mm -hmm. to a T. So let me, let me follow up the integrity part with, another layer of integrity where do you guys fall on character in general as far as the players i mean the old school mindset is we're not looking for choir boys here to win a football game but at the same time you want upstanding citizens and 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 high character high value guys where where does the line fall between i want a crazy motherfucker like bill romanowski on my team and <laughs> I, I don't want aaron hernandez on my team where where's the line between those two well, the line is not murdering somebody. Um, <laughs> and in, in those two cases, Facts. I mean, you know, Bill Bill Romanowski was a wild man, but he never, I mean, to my knowledge, off the top of my head, he never gotten any any sort of legal trouble, you know? I mean, there's, you know, uh, I think, you know, Rob Gronkowski was a dumbass on the field, but he's not, he was a scholar athlete in, in high school and college, and he, you know, he's not dumb. So, you know, having that, you know, Having a lot of those people that have that, well, you know, well, I'm going to say mama mentality because I think Kobe's kind of like the leader now in terms of that mentality because just, you know, that win at all costs and what thing. But I mean, Kobe, I mean, yeah, he had one obviously big, like, you know, accusation that happened, but otherwise he was, uh, he never got in any legal trouble. I mean, as long as you don't, the, the thing about that is, you know, you're not hurting, the you're not helping the team if you're off the field because you're suspended. Right. So there's the line right there. If you're missing games because of your stupidity, that's where the line is crossed because the team, yep. you know, if you're that good, the team needs you, and that that's kind of me where the line is where where the line is crossed right there. When you're when when your actions are costing yourself games, which is hurting your team. Yeah. Um, oh, go go ahead, sir. So, I, I I learned this this past year with Deion Sanders. Uh, he was asked in a in a press conference about some of his recruiting tactics, and um, he said, you know, when I when I look at a, a defensive player, you know, I want a guy that ain't, ain't got nothing to lose. I want I want a guy that that shacked up living with his mom, uh, get it out the mud, you know, hard living like. And when I look at for my offensive guys, it's a different story. It, it's a, it's a it's a different kind of guy that I'm looking for offensively. Um, and I think teams fall into um, this unfair box of how they characterize people's character where they one size fits all and and, and in sports and, and organizations it just doesn't work that way I feel like you know you could take a, a risk on guys like Aaron Hernandez if you have the right system in place where you could get guys to become the best version of themselves now it is ultimately up to the player to make their own decisions but you know you can't have a locker room full of choir boys right you know, we're, we're not talking about Hoosiers here, but you're going to have to you're going to have to do both. You're going to have to have some risky guys that have talent. And it's up to the coaching staff or the or the the person at the helm to to get every ounce of pro productivity out of this person. And I think organizations more times fail players and players fail organizations. Yeah, I, I think there's an unspoken element that people that maybe just watch and are fans of the sport but never played played sports uh might, might miss or overlook and i feel like that's a lot of the same traits 
that make you a great player and a great athlete and have that drive that that despising to lose are also a lot of the same characteristics and, tra and traits that can lead a young, especially a young wealthy person into foolish situations. You're, you're, you're overly boisterous. You're overly confident. You're, you're, you're overly bold and brave and willing to take risks. That doesn't just restrain itself to the field off the field that, that there's part of what makes you tick. And I, I just think you can't find somebody that is going to play by the rules all the time and, and, and do every single thing the right way, but never think about how to do it better, do it different, do it, do it harder. And that kind of attitude and mentality gets you into trouble at times. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, it, it's a high wire act to be honest with you. And it's something that unless I, I assume Sterling's played team sports before, you know, oh, yeah. um, yeah, exactly. I, I just I just made it ten minutes ago. But I was making an assumption. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> when you when you, all three of us have been in a dugout or a locker room or all of the above, and like, yeah, not everybody. I mean, we're all wired differently. You know what I'm saying? Some mm. people, you know, and like Sterling talking about the people with nothing to lose. Like they said, they're living in you know if they're living in that one bedroom apartment with their mother, you know. Also, they they don't they haven't had the access to how to how to be a functional member of society yet because they haven't had to you know what i'm saying so they go to college and they you know big man on campus all of a sudden they get all these gifts and all this stuff and it's like getting you know it's like trying to drink water out of a it's like it's like trying to drink water out of a fire hydrant you know what i'm saying yeah so, and you know and that you know that that doesn't that's that's not exclusive to any type of demographic you know like that happened to johnny manzel johnny manzel went from a backup quarterback to the heisman trophy winner and if there's ever a case of someone that could not handle success at Johnny Manziel, you know, yeah. so it can happen to anybody. Like, and like Sterling said, organizations fail. I think Texas A&M really failed him. They didn't really protect him. He went from obscurity to beating Alabama all, to all of a sudden being the face of college football. And with like, you know, that's not, that's something where you're not ready for. And, and like, and, and that is just something that we're as, as a society and as like a, a football program, they turn a blind eye because he's so talented, but at the end of the day, turning the blind eye hurts them long term. Johnny yeah, Manziel it, was the real life Joe Kane. Mm -hmm. You know, here here's something about Johnny Manziel um, that I learned from watching that um, Netflix docu series. I don't know if you guys watched that about him, well, but um, you know, one of the things that stood out to me is like Johnny Manziel gets a bad rap, and he should, but the talent's there. Um, he he's he's a perfect case of like. Your talent can only take you so far. But one of the things that stood out to me in that in that docuseries was that once he saw the business side of college football, I think that's what ruined him. That's what ruined him. Because now, you know, he he, you know, he comes from a upper middle class family where, you know, they really didn't have to struggle. But he saw how how much money they were making off of him. And that's where shit kind of went off the rails for Johnny Menzel. But I have a I have a perfect example about this. So you guys remember Josh Rosen? Yeah. Josh Rosen um, is the king of as talent, you know, uh, wealthy family growing up. And then you look at guys like uh, Lamar Jackson, for instance, in the same draft class. What they say about him, you can't read a defense. You, you probably should play wide receiver. And, you know, Josh Rosen was, was uh, picked, you know, ninth overall to the Cardinals and booted out of the league like a couple seasons afterwards because – Man, not you know, your talent can only take you so far, but it goes back to that football character or or that integrity of the game. What are you gonna do with your portion of it? And I think people and organizations, and I think the coaching staffs, a lot of times, man, like I said, they they set these players up to fail, and it's uh it's sad. Yeah, and and, right. and two similarities about them: Johnny Manziel went to the Cleveland Browns, and Josh mm -hmm. Rosen went to the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, mm -hmm. if that's not set and getting set up to fail off the get-go, I'm not sure what is. <laughs> He's got screwed. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll circle down to the, the, the quarterbacks. I want to start top-down with an organizational structure, but those are two good examples of, of teams that just took a player and didn't really build build a team around the, the, the player that they chose. All right. So top-down, when you're, you're you're building a new team, so you're, you're brought in as president, clean house, start over from scratch. Which which philosophy or do you think is is better to build around a, a GM centric philosophy or a coach centric philosophy between the two, Ernie? Well, I mean, coach or GM, 
if we're discussing football or football or bat, let's just, let's just discuss this in football or basketball terms. You have to you have to shoot for the franchise player, no pun intended. And you and you, you know whether it's a franchise player in basketball, like a Jokic, or you know like a LeBron or something like that, or you have to find the franchise quarterback. You have to keep mm-hmm. shooting until you you have to keep shooting until you get it because in both of those sports, the franchise player makes the organization look good, not the other way around. Right. Like how many like. John Fox was an average coach, had Peyton Manning for a year, went to the Super Bowl. It wasn't because John Fox all of a sudden became an offensive guru. It's because he had Peyton Manning. You know, a lot of teams have a lot of teams have a lot of good players and they make the coach look good. I mean, Bill Belichick, who got who parted ways today, great coach, but the bottom line is he was he was a below five hundred coach without Tom Brady. So, so if you're if, if you're GM and you're hiring a coach, are you hiring a coach that embodies your philosophy or are you hiring who you think is the best coach and then supporting their vision and philosophy? I I think it's, you know, if I'm a GM, I have to be comfortable with um, the foundational beliefs that I have and I'm fine. I'm hiring a head coach to that kind of embodies that, Um, you know, you're like, like Ernie said, you're looking for that franchise piece. Right. Um, But, you know, it is up to, you know, in finding, that right head coach that embodies what you believe you kind of have to um, paint a picture, paint a story to where that head coach, you give him the tools to to succeed and give him everything that he needs to be the best version of himself. So I'm fully GM on this. Um, You know, coaches come and go, right? There are more coaches fired than there are GMs fired. uh, When we talk about the NBA or the NFL. Now, sometimes those come in in packages, but for the most part, it's it's the it's these coaches that are that are going to go. Like if you if you had Peyton Manning, but you had a shitty head coach, well, you're not getting rid of Peyton Manning. You're getting rid of that head coach, and you can change the culture however many times you need to do it until you get it right. Ernie, anything to add on that? No, I I 100 agree. You know, um, you know, GMs get the pace at which coaches get fired is far greater than the way GMs get fired, and I you know, I I believe you know the foundation of the team, what you believe in is is huge because you have to to me you have to instill all of these things into the organization from you know from top to bottom and honestly it has to come from it has to come from even higher than the gm spot it has to come from ownership and all the way down but you have to instill like character and discipline and you know i'm saying like empowering your players and coaches to be the best they can be and that to me starts at the top and goes to the bottom so in terms of like you know food chain the GM to me is more important than the coach. Okay. Next step down the ladder, do you consider the coach more important than any positional player on the team? No. Who wants to go first? Mm-mm. No, no. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. <laughs> no. I mean, uh-huh. like I said, in, in the case of a lot of um in case of a lot of franchises, the star player makes the coach, not the other way around. How many I mean, look at last year's championships and bait, you know, we'll go basketball the last couple of years, basketball and football. Patrick Mahomes, franchise player. By the way, Andy Reid was a, was a loser until Patrick Mahomes came along. He got his best quarterback. All of a sudden, now he's a winner and a two-time Super Bowl champion. You know, Nikola, Nikola Jokic with the um, Denver Nuggets. With Denver Nuggets, who's beyond great. I mean, Mike Mahomes a good coach, but is he going to take the Orlando Magic to the promised land or some other? Is it the Pistons? No, absolutely not. And you know, so it's always the franchise players. You know, Steph Curry the year before. Yeah. And then after, who won the Super? Who won? And then the Rams with Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald. It's always the players over the coaches. Now, I will say, I will, I will add this to to what you're saying. I think there's some some anomalies. I feel like uh, Sean McVay is an anomaly because he is the system. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like a guy like and those 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 kind of hires and those kind of types are very few and far between. You know, um, but Sean McVay is a perfect example of, you know, like for this season, for instance, like we a lot of people thought that they were going to be bottom dwellers. You're talking about a roster that was depleted. But that system, despite who we had a quarterback at times, Matt Stafford was injured and so forth, they found a way to get it done. And and, and they're in the playoffs. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do, I mean, yes, you got Matt Stafford, you have Aaron Donald, but picking a a Puka Nakua in the fifth round, who really was an afterthought, right? And you put him in that system with Sean McVay as a guy who's going to get everything out of his players, you know, th- those are those are few and far between, man. That's why they're so hard to find guys like that. Now, if the 
if the star player, the key franchise, now obviously there's a uh, prime example that's inciting this follow-up question, but uh, it, it, it's, it's a general question all the same. How do you know when your star player or your, your franchise player, in this sense maybe a quarterback, is carrying a average or subpar coach? What is what what does that look like, and is that something that that can be addressed? Because clearly you have a star player and a franchise player, so you're probably still winning, even uh-huh. even in spite of that shortcoming. So, how 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 do you address that? How do you identify that type of of conflict in agendas? Well, without mentioning the obvious coach that you and I would want to talk about, um, I'll just talk about in general in, in generalities that, um is are you getting everything out of your franchise even though he's your franchise player even even you know it's kind of like i mean i think it's kind of an eye test thing when you followed sports and you've been around sports um are you getting every single possible thing that you can out of your franchise quarterback is your head coach or your star player in basketball is your head coach empowering with his philosophy that player to be the very best he can be or is there philosophy which may be archaic holding them back and i think in a lot of in a lot of times i mean they've they've empowered i think you know someone like andy Reid, i think has definitely empowered patrick mahomes oh yeah but other other franchise quarterbacks have been literally told not to be themselves that's holding Mm -hmm. them back and that's kind of um so it it goes both ways honestly i I think body i mean obviously all the analytics there's analytics in sports and all the stat dorks think they know everything and there is something in analytics, but this is a lot of eye testing, body language, maximization of players. That's something that you have to watch on a game to game basis to see what happens. Yeah. And, and I go, you know, the, when you brought that question up, the first place I went was Phil Collins, the Chicago Bulls. I was, you know, I they, they were Doug. Doug Collins. Yeah. Listen, they were, well, they were decent. Face. They were decently good. They were decently good, but they really didn't hit their, they didn't really didn't start moving and shaking until they got Phil Jackson. You know, uh, and they made some personnel changes, but Michael Jordan was, I mean, they were losing in the first round, like with Jordan, a young Jordan at that, but the dude was still averaging 30 points a game. Right. And and then, you know, so they got rid of Doug Collins in comes Phil Jackson and the whole thing changed because Phil, uh, Phil Jackson was able to get Jordan to not only be great, but be the, the superpower, the superstar, the, the best player to ever play the game that he is today or was, because you know, great player meets great philosopher, head coach, right? And and then they change they change the course of basketball forever. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, man. Mm-hmm. What, what so to that... add to your to add to your point, Sterling, like there's levels of quarterback play, and there's mm-hmm. levels of coaches. Like Doug Collins was a very good coach, yeah. But Phil Jackson was an A plus Hall of Fame coach, and he, absolutely, you know. And, and like I said, there's there's also the same thing with with coaching, like you know. Uh, same thing with coaching, the same thing with players is there's, you know, levels. And when you can level up a perfect match, like an A-plus coach with an A-plus talent, that's where everything gets empowered. That's where you have not only championships, but dynasties. One of the, one of the things that I took away from Phil Jackson and what kind of was the impression left on me in sports is really what the responsibility of a coach becomes once you have an elite roster or you have – the one the, the best players or or a number of top athletes in that game on your team it becomes less about the x's and o's and more about the managing of the egos and the characters and and the dynamics of the relationships within all of that and and knowing how to push buttons how to get the most out of people but but the really biggest point that i think it becomes is you get somebody like michael jordan you get i'll say i'll say the name you get somebody like josh allen where they're already amped up. They're already driven on their own to win and be great. But the problem is that they can get too hyped up. They can get too over the top. And it's like an engine with the RPMs running way over 3,000 and and the engine's running too hot and it's not in an optimal zone. I think the biggest asset a coach brings to a player of that caliber or a team of that caliber is getting them to settle in just a notch below revving so the engine isn't blowing itself out and, and pushing too hard and is in that prime optimal zone just below that for as long as possible or as consistently as possible. And I think that's where the real true gift of coaching and managing elite athletes and elite rosters comes in. 
Well, I, I know he's baiting me to say it, so I'm going to say it. The relationship with Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre. Mm, um, Brett Favre, I mean, the, 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 the funniest clips of NFL films is Mike Holmgren losing his mind when Brett Favre was early in the league when he really he, – he had the untapped um, skill, but he really – you know, he, he Yeah, exactly. But instead of, you know, he, he wouldn't – you know, instead of giving up, just say, throw the ball away. He tried to fit in triple coverage. You know, Holmgren on the side, like, we got to pull him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then he, he changed his mind. You know, no more rocket balls, please. Like, he just – there's so many antidotes. But Mike Holmgren – The greatest line in all of NFL yeah, history. Mike Holmgren right, – right, right, you know, No more rocket balls, please. Hilarious. Mike Holmgren was able to finally corral that talent and nurture it into a three-straight-time MVP, surefire Hall of Famer, one of the greatest to play the game. He had – he always had the talent, but it was a question of having – can he take that talent and turn it into superstardom where, again, the engine isn't rubbed too tight. He's actually calm, making plays and, and things like that. I think I think another person was LeBron James, to be honest with you. LeBron James was the same way. Eric Spolstra, who just got a contract extension, was one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most underrated coaches in the history of sports, by the way. Um, Eric Spolstra, with the help of those teammates, they were able to rein him in. Um, Phil Jackson reined in Jordan, Pippen, Shaq, Kobe, all of them. Shaq and Kobe <clears throat> couldn't get along. I mean, I, they, I'm, not, I'm not sure they ever got along, but they tolerated each other enough mm-hmm. to win three. They tolerated each other enough to win three championships together, and, and that was because of Phil Jackson. So yes, you have to have somebody to just you know to be able to put them in that sweet spot of where they're revved up but not too revved up. Yeah, so, no, that's no, I I agree with that. Um, you know that Shaq Kobe relationship. Uh, Man, it it was something. I think you know, uh, and kind of just, I just want to say this, but I think you know we forget that Shaq carried Kobe in those finals. Shaq was the one because he, you know, he already had success. Really, he was the he was the catalyst for that. And Kobe was just kind of, you know, as great as Kobe was, you know, it's it just I, I think man, people forget that like Shaq was the glue for for that championship run. Uh, you, Dwayne Wade and, and uh, LeBron James. Dwayne Wade had already won a title before LeBron got there. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember this. One of the things that that they talked about was what Eric Spolstra talked to LeBron about. It's like, bro, you got to get a post game. You have no post game, and that's the reason why you couldn't beat San Antonio because once they once they took some certain things away from your game, you had no answer. And so once they challenge, he he completely changed his game. So what did they do that year? I think it was the year after they lost to the Mavericks in 2013. What uh you know LeBron and D Wade say, you know what? We're not shooting threes. We are going downhill and we are dunking on everybody. And that's you what did, they did. That on the banana boat. Yep. yep. <laughs> they probably did with Carmelo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question: If you were running a team, which way would you lean more towards as your coaching style? Strict discipline oriented or more player friendly, uh, loose and, and, and everybody kind of is their own person. You know, honestly, I, I, I appreciate the question. I think it's an, and I don't think it's an, or I think you need to have some, like, I will say this you know, we can talk about the bills head coach all they want, but their culture Monday to Saturday, I think they have that for the most part, they have the the, the strict culture, but they're also themselves. Mm -hmm. I, th- I think you need to have both. I think you need to. I think you need to set a standard of this is what we expect you. This is this is how hard you need to work. This is how you need to conduct yourself on and off the field. But at the same time, you know, you have to be yourself. If you're someone who likes to laugh, someone who likes to dance around, have a good time, you have to have. You, I mean, I think it's an and more than an or. I mean, I, I I think the more structure you have, the better. So I would lean if given one or the other, I would lean towards the, um, you know, having the structure, having the discipline. Sure. But I don't. I think the. I think good organizations have that. Great organizations have both. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, when you look at uh, human culture, human nature, um, you know, like right now, you you say there's this thing where we t- we say you know these young cats are they're just they're weak. You know, what I'm saying like there's this thing there's this thing you know like I talked to my son like man, you guys are just not the same as ones. We, we had it like, we had it tougher. We could take tough coaching, right? Structure should be the foundation, but you have to be able to relate to these kids, to these these young men and women to, today. And I think, you know, uh, P- 
Pete Carroll was one of the guys, even though he just got fired. But you talk about he had I think he had a good blend of both, whereas Bill Belichick only knew one way yeah. was was the iron fist. But Pete Carroll, man, he he had the, the, the innate ability to relate to these players. And I think dude's 72 years old and look at him like he's, he's talking about going surfing like this. The, he is insane, but he could be strict. But he can also flip flip the button and say, you know what? I'm gonna relate to you guys today. Let's let's shoot some hoops. So I I think you got to be both, man. I, I agree as well, and I think that goes back to again, no, like the great coaches knowing which buttons to push at which times, and that gets boiled down to each person has a different set of buttons and being aware mm-hmm. and knowing that. So the follow up question becomes: Star treatment is star treatment a natural element of sports or is it something that undermines the the culture of the locker room because i'm just as good as he is i just don't get the same opportunities so he's getting all treated like that because the coach loves him and, mm-hmm. and i'm over here just as another jag on the team getting bitter and resentful how do you how do you guys feel about star treatment well in terms of star treatment for me if you're if you're um no matter what sport it is I don't think you're going anywhere unless your best player is also the hardest worker. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if you're getting that start, you know, so if you're getting that start treatment and it's earned, like I don't think anybody disputes that Josh Allen's the hardest worker on the Bills and that Patrick Mahomes is the hardest worker on the um, on the Chiefs and, and so on and so forth. So if you get that quote unquote start treatment and it's earned, it's great for the organization. If you're giving someone a start treatment who hasn't earned it. That's where the organization tumbles, in my opinion. Yeah. So, like, if the top uh, the top rookie in the draft comes in and is automatically treated like a star without earning anything, you think that 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 sets the locker room up for disappointment and and division? Yeah. Yeah, man, it, it sifts you. They, they they will sift you out so quick. I mean, perfect. You know, you look at guys like Kyler Murray, um, great talent. But man, he had to come to some some realizations early in his career, and he's still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, you you could look at um, what the Broncos did with Russell Wilson. He he was not he's not the same player that he once was. But they gave him that man an office next to management. They gave him an office, and and he used it, and, and it rubbed players the wrong way. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's making all this money, and he was he was shit last year. A little bit better this year. But I mean, it just goes to show, man, that like that that kind of stuff's important, man. You you got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to check these guys, you know, because sometimes people will take advantage of you, and uh, it's it's up to the head coach, it's up to the GM and the owner to kind of you know set the foundation straight, man. And I think people, I think they 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 fail with that sometimes. So let's uh, let's give a specific example here and ask you each how you would treat this person coming into your locker room, Caleb Williams clearly has expectations and uh, beliefs on where he should go and how he should be treated before he's ever taken a snap in the NFL. Uh, Is his talent already worth catering to those demands and setting precedences? Or are you going to try and take him down a peg or two and humble him and hope you can build him back up as a better person? Um, I, Caleb Williams is an interesting case because he has, he, his views on like, Oh, I want part ownership of it. Like his views are just so out there. They're just like, there's like, you know, star, you know, the people who want to be treated like stars and then there's like over the top, like what the hell are you even talking about? And I kind of feel like Caleb Williams is that what the hell are you even talking about person? Like, oh, I'm only going to the team to give me part ownership. Like what? Like, you know, Peyton Manning never asked better. Tom Brady never, you know what I'm saying? Like the greatest you know, players Marcus of all Russell was running around right now with a piece of the Raiders. <laughs> oh my, well, that honestly, that would, that would be high. First off, that would be a great reality show, would it not? Would you not watch Sterling? Would you not watch a reality show of, of Demarcus Russell owning the other? I, I would never turn that off. I would watch. Oh that man, that that'd be that'd be <laughs> comical. I mean, how much lean be, can that man drink? <laughs> that purple drink, yeah, you got to get that purple. Drink. Um, but to answer if your question, every chance of getting that deal, Jamarcus ruined it for everybody. He, oh well, man, like literally, they changed the contract structure after that because it was. The new collective bargaining agreement, they're like, we're not giving anybody else 80 million. We're going to have the rookie pay structure. He literally ruined it for all the rookies coming in. But to answer your question, you know, no, talk is talk. And if you come in the locker room and you're the hardest worker and you're working yeah. hard and you're studying your playbook and you're working out, all those things are so that's what's going to happen. All this noise before he gets there is going to be nothing. If he, so if someone says all the right things and is a douchebag in the locker room, he's going to get weeded out. If a guy mm-hmm. talks the world, but he comes in the locker room and he, 
you know, Jameis Winston had a, you know, Jameis Winston is beloved by his teammates for what kind of leader he is. And that would have never, you never would have guessed that the way things at Florida state went down. So a lot, it's a lot of bluster is bluster. When you come in the, when you get in the locker room with your teammates and they see how you are as a person and how hard you work, that, that takes care of everything. And I think the three of so, us being in those situations before will agree. Is what's out there already enough to stop you from drafting him or passing him over for a similar talent? Or would you just roll the dice and, and hope that's just bluster? Man, it, it it depends on, first of all, who am I as a franchise? Like, what team am I? Because, you know, I, I think there are certain locker room styles that he could fit in. And I think there's others that he cannot. Um, if you ask me today, I'm not drafting him. Uh, now, people will call me crazy because he's the best talent. But we've seen this story before where the best talent necessarily doesn't always equate to the best long-term success, right? Like, how many quarterbacks were drafted over Kirk Cousins? I mean, a lot. <laughs> Uh, RG3 and we had injuries but you know they took a fifth fifth round flyer on Kirk Cousins and, and look at him he I mean you know he's not a world beater by any means but he stayed in the league and made a lot of money but Caleb Williams to me man he's super talented the, the gifting is there I'm honestly not trying to have a dude in my locker room that paints his fingernails with the other team like I, I, I like what are you going to tell a, a eight-year eight-year veteran you know what I'm saying like what and you want part ownership of the team like, no, I, I I can't handle that. To me, that's buffoonery to me. It's disrespectful um, to, to the players that are, that are in your locker room, the vets, grown men with kids and wives and with real responsibilities. And then this is like, this is who y'all drafting. Like, I think and I think as as analysts and fans, we put a lot of stock into these players, abilities and talents. But when you look in the NFL locker room, it's they, they see it completely different than we do. You know, really, really so, quickly, just to add to your point on that, is that you know, is, should Caleb Williams be drafted? Absolutely, someone's gonna, someone's yeah. gonna oh, draft yeah. it. Absolutely, but if anybody is somewhat similar in talents and they have a better character, I'm taking them all every day, day. every all day, every day, because again, character matters. And this guy, mm -hmm. unless he comes into these interviews and really wows them and says, "Hey, this is all bluster," you know, it's, it's all it was just me talking. But he's got a lot more. So he's got a lot more to prove than say a Michael Penix, who right. has said everything right, who's a great teammate. Everybody loves him. So the, the, he has a lot longer and further to go to win over a locker room than a Michael Penix or a Drake May or you know what I'm saying or or a um, Jaden Daniels or something like that. So transitioning towards uh, building through the draft or having a more win now oriented philosophy. Let's start with uh, this follow-up question that kind of leads us down that road. If each of you were the general manager of the Bears today, what are you doing? Are you taking the risk on Caleb Williams? Are you sticking with uh, Justin Fields, or are you going in a completely different direction? Well, you know, with, here, here's the thing. With that draft pick, I, I think, you know, the Bears, aren't going, the Bears are not a playoff team next year. Either way, whether they have Caleb Williams or Justin Fields, right? They they are they will be able to accumulate so many draft picks if they trade that draft pick away and their own draft picks that they're it's going to be a bonanza for them. They can set their franchise up huge for the future with so many draft picks, and then you give Justin Fields one more year, and if he's your franchise quarterback, great. Then you can use all those draft picks on high end talent. If not. You have enough draft capital by far and then some to move up in the draft and get your guy. Honestly, if yeah. I was the Bears this year, I'm trading that draft pick. I am getting as much as I can in draft capital, and I'm giving Justin Fields one more year to see where he goes. And then because they're not going, they're not, they're not, they're not making the playoffs next year. But with a, with two good drafts and a quarterback in two years, they could be with the right draft picks and the right philosophy with the right quarterback. They could be a contender. Yeah, and I'll go even as far as this. I'll say I'm I would have fired Matt Eberflus. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm looking to hire a, a winning head coach like a Jim Harbaugh, who would be perfect for the Chicago Bears. Mm -hmm. I'm trading that pick and, and I'm taking a different quarterback. So I'm and I'm getting rid of Justin Fields too, because I mean we've seen what we need to see from Justin Fields. Um, I, I think you know he's gonna I think he he would be successful in another organization. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you you look at 
certain situations you go, he just needs to change the scenery. I, I just don't think his success is going to be in Chicago. I think it's time to move on. You, you, you've seen all you needed to see. You, you as an owner and, you know, as a coaching staff, they failed Justin Fields to an extent. Um, but Justin Fields is yeah. who he's going to be. Um, I, I think it's now it's time for an, another franchise to get a shot to see if they can get, you know, everything out of them. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, like Ernie said, man, I'm, I'm building for now and the future. So I'm getting rid of that pick. And, and I, I want more for future first round picks for later years, but they got a solid defense that they can lean on right now. They they just they're just missing some pieces. But yeah, I'm I'm stacking the deck, man. Yeah, I'm uh I'm a big believer when you're drafting high of trading down and just picking up more and more assets. Uh, Sterling Sterling knows this firsthand. That, that's that's my mo. I, I trade I trade down into like seven, eight, nine, or ten, and then trade down again. And and double dip on on getting all of that that action and Ernie, your philosophy is great. Either you know we're going to be loaded with assets and and you're going to turn the corner or you're going to bottom out again and now we're going to have a ton of assets, get our quarterback and and we can load them up with weapons. It, it it's kind of a, a win win situation. So following back around on this, Ernie, where do you fall on? Are you more of somebody that believes building repetitively through the draft, getting your own talent, coaching them up, bringing them and teaching them? The, the way of your team or are you more of a like what the Rams do uh, trade your draft picks for proven talent try to win now fuck the future we got our trophy you know I think Sean McVay like like Sterling said Sean McVay is just the outlier like the list of people who can do that is Sean McVay and Sean McVay and that's it mm -hmm. um, I think I think the win in the, the way you win in the NFL now which has been proven is you find your franchise quarterback and then you just stack the deck around him and get as much talent as you can around him to win a Super oh, Bowl or two before deal. that rookie before that rookie deal ends, and then you have to pay him. You know, have work with Pat Mahomes. You know, it just it, I think that's the way to win in the NFL right now, where you know, get the franchise quarterback, build an offensive line. Once you got those two, go out and get weapons, and then you know that you know you can. What once you have that foundation. Then you can use those draft picks to go out and get a number one mm -hmm. receiver or number one tight end or run, you know, whatever you need to do. But you know, but the big thing, get the franchise quarterback, protect him with a great offensive line, and then you can move on either through the draft or through free agency and build and give him enough weapons to six. You can never have enough weapons on offense. Right. I wish the Bills would learn that. Oh my god. Don't, um, even, don't even get me started, hey, brother. But you know, look. We got we got those some credit to Les Needs way because he has done a phenomenal job of of finding talent in mid to late rounds, man. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped them a lot. But you're right, you know, Sean McVay and his system, and and you know, you you can't beat that. Like he's he is he is just a mastermind. I, I would even venture to say, um, who Kyle Shanahan is is up there too. He's not he's not McVay, but he's up there. But uh yeah, man, I I'm trying to get a quarterback first. Nothing happens. It's it's this is funny, guys. You, you tell me what you think about this, but there, you know, I live I live in Denver, okay? And there's this idea, you know. I brought this up to a couple of my Bronco uh, buddies. I said, Hey, I said, What do you guys, you know, what what's the what's the fan consensus on the 12th overall pick? And they say, Well, we're not gonna be able to get a quarterback um because you know, we got the 12th pick and we got this dead cap space for Russell Wilson. We don't know what we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. I said, why don't you uh, package Pat Sertain uh, in a trade to get up into the top five? Oh, no, 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 uh-uh, no, no. I said, but if if you don't have a quarterback, what is the top cornerback going to do for you? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Like, you, you need to you need to move up. You need to get into the top five and get one of these top three guys. Which you, if, if I'm a Broncos fan or if I'm, if I'm the GM, or owner like that. I don't care who we have on the roster. If we don't have a quarterback, we got nothing. So it, it's just kind of funny how people, you know, how they value good players that can only get you to a certain place. But man, you, you got to get a quarterback in the NFL. It, it, it's not even a question. You know, throwing so what, to add to your point, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask him to on, on which way he leans as opposed to building through the draft or trading. For oh, draft time. all day draft. What was your follow-up, yeah. You know, to add to your point, Stoeing, is that there is not – unless you have, like, a hall of, a surefire Hall of Fame edge rusher, a surefire Hall of Fame um, wide receiver or offensive lineman, mainly a tackle, there should be no one in the organization that you would hold untouchable to get a top-flight mm -hmm. quarterback. Nobody. Yep. Patrick Sertain is a great cornerback, 
But if, if that's the guy you got to, you know, if that's the guy you got to get rid of to get by, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, good luck in your <laughs> yeah. organization. Yep. Okay. So the next question, regardless of whether it's a quarterback, a goalie, uh, a center in hockey, a star, a star player in basketball, what in the modern era of sports is your limit on that premium pick that that heir apparent that they were supposed to be reaching their potential or proving that they're the guy? How long how long do you think in the modern era that that, that these star players should be given? Hmm. Well, you know, court, I mean, quarterbacks they 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 um they reach their full potential usually in year three or four. But you usually can see in year one that they're gonna they're gonna have the potential to do it, in my opinion, or they're gonna have the flashes. Like, like for example, Josh Allen in 2018, you know, he didn't have a great, but you could see that the talent was yeah. there, just a matter of it wasn't once it, the game slowed it, down. It, 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 it was a matter of to me, it was a matter of when, not if, in terms of Josh Allen. You know, CJ Stroud has had a great rookie year. When I saw him in preseason, I could tell it's a matter yeah. of when, not if. You you it, it might, you know. You, these guys might not be a franchise quarterback the first year, but when you you can just see when and not and not if. So two three years, if they haven't shown that, it's time to move on. You know, it's like like he, you know like um, Sterling said about Justin Fields. Has he really shown the flashes of be? He's shown the flashes of being a good quarterback, but he's not shown the flashes of being a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they had the opportunity to draft a franchise quarterback this year. So they have, I mean, they have to upgrade in that position. So it's not the first two or three years or it's never going to happen. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, man. It's, uh, you know, I think the infrastructure that you have in place, you know, like, you you know, you look at the bills was a perfect example. A lot of the guys that get drafted by them, you know, they talk about, you know, the third year is, is, is like, that's the year where you should know whether or not, if this player is, is rosterable, we can keep him and we can build from there or not, you know? And it, I think that question uh, kind of is a little different for different teams and organizations based off their infrastructure. But, um, you know, I, I like to say, you know, you at least give it three to four years. I, mean, I, I think that's more than enough time to kind of figure out what you got. Okay. So this might be our, our most controversial question of the evening. Is it ever appropriate to tank? Um. And so in the NFL, I'm not sure if it's appropriate. I've seen, I've seen far too many cases where teams have tanked and they've never come back out of it. Then I have tank and, and they, and it's worked at least in the NFL. If you suck, you're going to get the number one pick. If you're in any of the other three major sports, whether it's basketball, hockey, or baseball now, it's a lottery. Like the Buffalo Sabres tank for Connor McDavid when they had a 25% chance of getting him. That is about the dumbest. They had a 100% chance of getting him because he was, I mean, that guy was earmarked from the beginning to be a franchise NHL player. He's amazing, right? If they were 100% earmarked to get him, that's at least a a, a thing where it's worth, you know what I'm saying, losing for. But they had a 25% chance of getting him. That was just idiotic. And they haven't recovered since. And a lot of teams who have tanked, you know, the Boston Celtics tanked in the mid nineties to get Tim Duncan. Guess what they didn't get Tim Duncan, you know, and even though they had the highest odds in the lottery, but 25% yeah. odds means 75% chance. No. So I don't, I, in, in my, is it like, I would never tank. And if someone team wants to tank, there's, there's no right or wrong answer in this, but I will say this. I have in my observation, far more, t- many, far more teams have failed from trying to tank than they have succeeded. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm okay with tanking. Um, when you look at like the Indianapolis Colts, where they sucked for luck when Peyton Manning was injured and they sucked for luck, I think it benefited them well. But what did they not do? They put all their eggs in the Andrew Luck basket and they said, you know what? Oh, I guess we'll take a vacation here because we're not going to give you the offensive line pieces you need. And what did what happened in five years? The man was out of the league because they beat the shit out of him. So, um, you know, there's tanking and then there's like, you know, the next step after that is, is healthy roster construction. You, you, you know, you have to do both. I'm okay with tanking. Like the Washington wizards are, are tanking this year. Right. Um, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna trade, um, Jordan pool. They, they could trade Kyle Kuzma, but why are, for what? I mean, for, you know, you're going to get to the top of the draft 
and it's a lottery that's not guaranteed and you don't i mean it just so for different sports man it's just different like hockey and basketball like it's a, it's a it's a big time risk man I, I wouldn't do it in those sports i wouldn't yeah like i said to, to agree with you the only sport i would do it in is football because there's a hundred percent chance of getting the number one pick if you're the worst team my nightmare scenario is a team that's just good enough to consistently win seven to ten games you're never going to be good enough to compete with that team, and you're never going to be good enough to bottom out to get a better better positional player, probably a quarterback, to, to take you over yeah. the hump. I, I don't believe in from the outset of the season, oh, we're going to tank, we're just not going to have it this year, and and writing the whole season off as a loss, because then what the fuck are you charging me tickets for? Like, what are we, <laughs> what, what are we even doing here at this point? But if we're halfway through the season or a trade deadline comes up and we're clearly not making the playoffs – Obviously, I want players on my roster and my team that are going to go out and try and win and, and perform to the best of their ability for their own incentives mm -hmm. and, and, and careers. But as far as organizationally, everybody above the coach, I'm going to start thinking different. I'm going to sit mm -hmm. guys that have $30 million payout clauses if they fail physical in meaningless games. I, I'm, I'm going to put my hand on the scale to make it as difficult as possible for you guys, a la the Cleveland Indians. And if you want to win in spite of me, go freaking get it. But I'm 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 looking to the future. That's my job is is to always be the guardian and the gatekeeper of the years ahead. And helping you guys win eight games isn't going to get us anywhere next year. And if you are going to tank, you have to have a strong enough organization to where after the tank happens, you can no longer tolerate losing. And because a lot of times apathy seeps into these organizations when they tank, and that's a tough thing to get out of an organization. And mm. we've seen with the Buffalo Sabers for ten years. So yeah, that's have a reason why I think it can't be it's got to be above the coach level. If it's, if it's the coach, if the coach or the players are in on it, then I think you're, you're looking at cancerous culture. I agree, which, but go ahead. Oh, I was just going to transition to our final topic, which is culture. But if you've got something, something to add on the, on the no. end of that. No, because I think that, I think the thing I was going to talk about was culture anyway. So go ahead. So final topic for the evening culture. Is it real? Is it not real? How important is it? Do you absolutely need it to be successful? Can you win in spite of it? What, what Where do you guys fall on your commitment to culture in the team that you're building? Man, I mean, culture. Go ahead. You go, go ahead. first, Darren. Culture to me is everything, man. Um, you know, there there's so many uh, good habits birthed out of good culture. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and you know, it's it's one of those things that, I feel like sometimes sports miss the human element, right? You know, there there are some out there from from the old school days. Well, culture, you just do what we fucking tell you to do, and that's just how it goes around here. But man, there you know, they're just man. Like when when the human element is involved, you know, like you you we've seen some phenomenal stories, like Steph Curry, like that dude was passed on. I mean, it was a seventh overall pick, but like he was scrawny and small, and like. No, you know, we knew he could shoot, but that's about it. Can he develop his game? Can he, they, they had questions. Could he play defense at the next level? And it was cult, the culture there. You know, the culture there is what, like, got every ounce of ability out of that dude, man. I think culture and talent, I think they're married at the hip. I think you got to have it. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree a million percent. You know, if, if this comes to whether you're on a, in a sports franchise or you're working a a bartender at a restaurant or mm -hmm. anything. If you and if you enjoy going into work, you're going to be more productive. Yep. So when you build that product, you know when you build that culture, wanting to go into work because you are building, whether you, whether you're build, you know you're building toward a championship or you're building toward a playoff spot or something. That anybody who has that empowerment and excitement, you know, they're going to work harder when they're building towards something. So I do think called, I do think culture matters. I think you know a winning culture matters and and setting the standard of this is the you know, as much as culture is setting the standard of this is our standard of what we need to do when we come to work every day and we do this. And then that standard, when that standard breeds success, that's what builds the culture. When, when, a, when a coach says, here, here's our standard. And then you meet that standard and results happen. And then you meet even other standard and you meet that standard and even more, resu more results happen. That's where, the, that's where the culture lives, you know, culture, camaraderie, you know, you don't have to get along with everybody outside the football, football field or basketball court or whatnot. You know, the the Golden State Warriors are notorious. They're one of the best passing teams of basketball of all time. The way they share the basketball when they're on is beautiful. But they don't hang – like, you know, Steph Curry's got a family. He goes home. 
Draymond Green goes, you know, after after work, like, you know, Clay Thompson's like the one guy he dates all the movie stars and whatnot, but he's doing his own thing with that. Draymond Green does his own thing. Steph Curry does his own thing. They're not like great friends off the court. They just come together on the court. So when you have that winning culture and you want to go into work and you want to get better, that's where I think that separates like mm-hmm. the good teams from the great teams. Yep. For me, there's only one culture that is acceptable. It's a culture of accountability. If we're not holding ourselves accountable and holding each other accountable, then every other culture starts to deteriorate. And you know what you're left with when culture starts to deteriorate? Nothing. Cult. Yeah. You start losing your URE and it just becomes a cult. You mean the and Patriots? Yeah, that, that, that that's a good example. Especially once the winning starts slowing down. Then all of a sudden, the, the the culture starts rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. But winning yeah. covers up everything. So is that was that culture why they were winning, or was that culture only allowed and permeated because they were winning? It, it, it's a it's a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario there with the Patriot way. But there's 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 other cultures that I find ultimately toxic and counterproductive to the business of sports and the goal of winning championships. I think the idea of a family culture inside of the locker room to some extent is okay but push too far this is a business you're this is a business at some point i'm going to have to make a ruthless business decision here and 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 looking at everybody like they're family members and even worse when the fan base starts looking at different personnel people as family members and they care more about their family member than they do about the production and the results on the field i think you start drifting you start drifting away from what our purpose is here and why we're, we're here and we're all brought together and we're all paid this large amounts of money. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's really my only beef with culture. I think, I think absolutely people got to enjoy being in the building. If you're, if you're rolling up to play football for millions of dollars and every time you look at the front door after you park your car, fuck, you got to go in here again. That, that shit, that shit easily translates to the field. What the hell am I going to yeah. do? I think that increases yeah. injury rates too. Mm-hmm. But you to add to your point, the guys that hate to lose don't mind the accountability. The guys who hate to lose, like I said, who you want in your locker room, welcome the accountability and yeah. embrace the accountability. And that's why I think if your culture is accountability, everybody knows where they where they stand. If I do something wrong, I'm not necessarily going to be punished, but it's going to be addressed, it's going to be discussed, and we're going to be on the same page here. And that Absolutely. has to go both ways. Like I can't just be holding all you guys accountable for whatever the fuck you do. But when I fuck up, then then like we just talk about this as a team mistake versus I you got to fall on the sword once in a while to validate your own culture. It, it's an absolute yeah. necessity. Even if you weren't really actually at fault, sometimes just to reinforce the validation of the accountability, you got to be the one that's held accountable. And mm-hmm. everybody respects that far more than uh, that, not not to get off on a tangent here, but I think this is this is the number one problem with law enforcement. There's no culture of accountability for themselves. So you want to go out here and, and police society and hold everybody else uh, uh, accountable to what they're doing, but nobody has any respect for you because you don't hold yourself accountable. It just doesn't work when 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 accountability goes in one direction. Agreed. So, guys, any final any final thoughts on team building? Anything we didn't cover? Anything that, that that's important to you? The intangibles here, Ernie. First, well, other than I think organizations need to hire the three of us to get their shit together. No. I mean, I, I I second that, you know, let's do it. <laughs> oh, Ernie, we've already discussed about how much seat time we've got running clock management and, and fourth down decisions and everything because of the amount of Madden games we've churned through. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, that's going to bring us to an end here. Next week, we'll have uh, Dave Croyle with us, and we'll be talking about activism in sports. I'm actually really looking forward to this topic because I think it's absolutely asinine that people like, get triggered by activism in sports. Like, it hasn't been there the entire fucking time. Um, Ernie, thank you very much for joining us. Sterling, as always, it, it, it's great to have you on my right. And, uh, guys, got anything to plug? Anything coming up? Anything you're working on? Just your show next week. I'm looking forward to that myself. Got the yeah, I'll be uh, Buffalo Rumblings post game show um, right after the um, the game on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hey, uh, look, look, let's give a cheap plug to the Hezzy the the Hezzy podcast as well. You and you and Russ are, are rolling with yeah. the Hezzy podcast. How's yeah, that me going? and Russ are, are chopping it up over there. We you know we 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 talk about uh, all things sports. 
uh, last last night's show was about college football, and my Michigan Wolverines. So you know, it was a fun day to uh, to talk sports because my Wolverines did it, man. Hey, I, if I've learned anything from the Wolverines and the Patriots, cheating pays. Cheating pays. <laughs> Whatever. All right. if, you, if you haven't visited the new Gratwick website yet, check it out. Sign up for the newsletter. Free book coming out next month. And we're going to close the show here with our calendar for the next four events. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, I got to change the background here. There we go. Uh, yep. Next week, we've got David Croyle. We're going to be talking activism in sports. The week after that, we've got Dan Gambino coming in. We're going to talk parents in sports. Uh, Joe Todaro after that, the culture of losing. Uh, that's going to be a good one with Joe. Uh, and then we've got Drew Gear from the uh, Rockpile Report coming in to talk the business of sports. We'll be 10 episodes strong with guests and new topics every week. So thank you for joining the show. Gentlemen, peace out. See ya.